Hi, I'm a higher ed CMO and I have a confession to make. One of the funnest parts of my job is working with my executive director of licensing, Brian Eubank, on everything having to do with licensing. We work together on identifying consumables that we can move into. I love sitting down with Brian and hearing him brainstorm about the different types of retail products that we can bring to market. Um, going places with him means watching him in his element, networking with people. Um, I just think that uh, collegiate licensing is such a massive opportunity for higher education. And I think it's something that sometimes gets sidelined by higher ed marketing offices um, as something that's just for athletics. Um, but for me, it's something that can just elevate your brand and bring opportunities for your brand to be seen um, all over your region, potentially all over the country, depending on the stature of your brand. And it makes your alumni and your students and people who are proud to have an affiliation um, become walking billboards. So it's a really passion area of mine. And I'm really excited to be bringing Brian Eubank in to talk about collegiate licensing and all of the things that he does to promote the university's brand and elevate our trademarks. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at at Jamie Hunt IMC. That's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C for more opportunities to connect. So I am here today with Brian Eubank, the Executive Director of Licensing at Old Dominion University. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jamie. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. We were originally going to try to do this a couple months ago, but um, BT's baby decided to be born instead. Like such an inconvenient baby. <laughs> how, how, yeah. is, how is she doing? She's doing great. I actually got the stats this morning from my wife. She went for her two-month checkup, and she's currently the weight of a five-month-old and the length of a six-month-old. <laughs> So all the clothes that we have gotten from zero to three months uh, do not fit. She's a little chunky. Yes. Yes. So I love it. Well, happy uh, two month anniversary or two month birthday. Yeah. So BT, why don't you tell us a little bit about your higher ed journey? I uh, I guess I started at Longwood University is where I I graduated from and was. Um, blessed to play soccer there as a student athlete. So I do come from that side. And I knew that I wanted to be somewhat in the college athletic world. So um, I wanted to be an AD, to be honest with you. And so when I got 
into college and we're going through classes, I quickly learned that I did not want to be an AD. And uh, <laughs> so I got into uh, the business school and specifically under marketing. And I kept my eye specifically within college athletics. And so I interviewed for a job at the time in 2009 with a company called ISP, and they worked on the multimedia right side with universities and colleges across the campus. And this specifically, this was for our University of Arkansas uh, position. I did not get the job. However, um, they said, we just partnered with a new licensing company. We think that you would be a great fit for them. And I was like, I have no idea what, <laughs> what you're talking about. Sure. Once again, 25, I'm like, okay, I know it's in college, has to do something with the college athletics. So I'm, I'm intrigued. And so I ended up getting the job, moving to Winston-Salem and was given about 25 schools to manage all colleges and universities from different sizes, division one, two, three, um, and actually grew that double that in about three or four years. And so I've always had a passion working with um, colleges because they are brands like any other brands that are um, in the market. And so, and they're each all unique. And so I really enjoyed getting to know each university, getting to know uh, both folks on the athletic side, on the university side, meeting presidents, meeting ADs, meeting folks like yourself uh, in your role, and uh, was able to to really be in this industry now for 14 years. Um, but now this is my first time on this side of the desk, um, which I must be setting a trend because literally today, two colleagues of mine have transitioned over from the agency to a school as well. <laughs> wow. wow. You're a trendsetter. So one, one went to Northeastern University and one went to Montana, even though I have not been literally, you know, like have the university as my employee. They've been or employer. They've been more of my client. Um, I have been around universities and schools for the past 14 years. So I've been through the COVID years. I've I've seen all types of trends. I've been in the room with, you know, admissions folks and alumni folks for a long time. So, um, but it, it is great to focus on one brand now <laughs> I bet. I bet. versus managing 40 to a team that had over, you know, 150 brands under my watch. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, you know, why schools should have licensing, but I've started programs at schools that did not have a licensing program that had no idea why they didn't have one or why they should start one. So kind of, you know, when licensing started, because it is an interesting story of actually, how did this start? Yeah, well, let's jump right into that. How did licensing start? I've never heard this story. So in 1981, there was a gentleman named Bill Battle, um, and he played football for University of Alabama. And the coach at the time, uh, Bear Bryant, which a lot of people probably know that name, very successful football coach at University of Alabama, had that houndstooth black and white type design. 
um, very, um, you know, he's winning a lot of games. And so when you win, people want to copy you. And so a lot of folks were you making product using Bear Bryant's name and, and Bill Battle at the time said, coach, I think you should protect your, your image, your name. And so they actually create a licensing agreement for Coach Bear Bryant. Wow. And at, that was the first licensing agreement. And at that time, University of Alabama did not have a licensing program. So in 1981, Bill Battles thought, okay, I could probably start a company to do this. Wow. And so he created the Collegiate Licensing Company, which is CLC known for in the industry, who we ODU partner with. And University of Alabama was the first school to sign a deal with CLC to have a true collegiate licensing program. And then it just started snowballing from there. Big school after big school was like, we, we got to do this. And if you talk to other folks in the industry, you'll hear it also started when folks start taking, you know, schools start taking folks to court. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you start using the name and in, in the images and, and without the school's permission, someone's going to find out about it and not going to be happy about it. So, so there's a couple ways it started, but the Bear Bryant story is true. It had happened. And um, so it's, you know, if you think about that, I mean, 1981 was only, it's not that, it's not like yeah. college licensing has been around. I mean, you think ODU's 1930 has not been around for that long. I mean, it really started really in the early 80s. So um, it's a very niche industry, important industry. You know, the, the likes of NFL and Major League Baseball and NASCAR and all these, they all have licensing programs. Um and so the NCAA as a whole, I think at one time, and I don't know the stats currently, but at one time the NCAA was, you know, top three. It, wow. it went Major League. At the time, Major League Baseball, now it's NFL's number one. Major League Baseball. And then the NCAA actually came right before the NBA. Um, wow. And now that LeBron James and all that, you know, NBA might have moved up. But there's, if you think about it, there's a lot of loyalty and a whole lot of fans that that are in, you know, this collegiate industry. So it's it's really interesting to me because the first half of my career, I didn't intersect with licensing at all. It was all um, handled by athletics. It was all a little bit smaller schools um, yep. with perhaps a little bit less of a fan base in terms of like the really loyal fans that kind of drive that licensing engine. Um, but for the second half of my career, I've spent, I've had licensing actually report up through me. Um, and I know it's kind of bifurcated. Some campuses have athletics, some campuses have marketing, yeah. but you know, from your perspective, why does it make sense for it to sit with marketing? So I've worked with schools to your point, across the board that have licensing under university communications, marketing, under athletics. There's actually some schools I've worked with in the past where I actually sat under uh, the university's general counsel, which also kind of makes sense. But if you think about it, I mean, licensing, you know, I, I, I've learned 
kind of the, when I first got in the three P's of licensing, right, is, is protecting the brand, promoting the brand and profiting from the brand. And really, you know, promotion, if you will, and I'll get into protection, but promoting the brand really, I mean, that's what we're also trying to achieve as a university communications and marketing department is promoting the brand, getting mm -hmm. folks to not only, you know, submit an application to come here, um, but alumni, right, to be passionate about, you know, where they graduated from and, um, you know, current students and faculty in the community. So to me, you know, as a university communications marketing department, you know, it goes hand in hand along with, you know, from the brand protection part is, you know, making sure that, you know, folks are not using our marks in a way that we don't want them to, right? It comes mm -hmm. back to, you know, once again, our goal of our department is brand consistency, brand alignment. And if we have licensees out there who are not making product using our logos the way that we want, you know, the students, the fans, the alumni who are out either in brick and mortar stores, online, buying our products, if they look at it and they're like, well, this is not what I thought, or why are, is the university going in this direction? There's a, um, you know, inconsistency there with what they, what they want, what they think versus what we want, what, you know, as a department of, of university to, so I think it's important to be under, you know, university communications and marketing due to the fact that we have goals and we want to make sure that we put our brand internally and externally in the best spotlight using, you know, the right logos the right PMS colors. And we want to make sure that from a licensing perspective, we are aligning in that same goal. Because if we're not, um, there will be, you know, um, just some, you know, alignment that's not going to work. Hey, y'all. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take a moment to thank my friends at MindPower who are making season two of this Enrollify podcast possible. MindPower is a full-service marketing and branding firm celebrating nearly 30 years of needle-moving, thought-provoking, research-fueled creative and strategy. MindPower is woman-founded and owned, WBENC certified, nationally recognized, and serves the social sector, higher education, healthcare, nonprofits, and more. The MindPower team is made up of strategists, storytellers, and experienced creators. From market research to brand campaigns to recruitment to fundraising, the agency exists to empower clients, amplify brands, and help institutions find a strategic way forward. You can learn more about their work in the world by heading on over to MindPower Inc. That's M-I-N-D-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-C.com. And be sure to tell the crew that Jamie sent you their way. I'm thinking about a time when uh, at a previous institution, somebody tried to license and put our logo along with some really negative messaging. Yep. And we're like, nope. Yeah. Um, we also had an experience where there was this sort of informal um, St. Patrick's Day tradition where students started drinking 
at midnight and drank tried to drink until the next midnight and it was awful and they wanted to put our logo on t-shirts to sell to support like so students are all wearing this t-shirt and we're like absolutely not and now with social media right i mean it's even that times a hundred i remember working with Furman university when they made a, a an unbelievable run this past april in the ncaa basketball tournament in barstool sports made a shirt that they wanted to push because they knew at the time, hot market will sell it. They were not licensed. That the the design itself, Furman would never have approved. And we had that shirt down within like thirty minutes of finding out about it. That's awesome. So it is something that, to your point, I mean, we we need to make sure, and that is why licensing is so important, is to make sure that what folks can buy or are willing to buy um, aligns with the university's brand standards. Um, so. A hundred percent. I didn't really understand what a licensing director, executive director of licensing did before it started reporting to me, to be perfectly honest, um, back at Winston-Salem State. But I remember I would living in a small college town with a very large university. And I remember walking into Target there and seeing uh, the licensing director um, having a conversation with what appeared to be the manager of that Target location, talking about this isn't licensed, this isn't licensed, this has to come yeah. down. And I kind of shopped in the section to kind of overhear the conversation. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. But what is your day-to-day life like as a as a licensing director? Yeah, I, I, it goes back to those three P's, I think, right? So, you know, from a protection perspective, you know, um, I am making sure that what I, what I see online, what I see, you know, in the, in the local market conversations I'm having with internal and external folks are using the correct logos, right? So nothing that actually gets produced goes without me seeing the artwork. So we do have a a software system that our licensing agency has that I see, you know, products before it's get produced. So if I'm out and about and I'm pretty good now of spotting stuff that I'm like, remember, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I, I remember approving that. Or I'm like, there's no way I would approve that. <laughs> right. So it happens you know, I've always, someone told me when I first got in this business, you'll never look at retail ever again. (laughs) And it is very true. Um, But yeah, so, you know, making sure that what folks are producing is in alignment with our brand, brand guide. So I am, I'm looking at our our work constantly. Um, Sometimes now three in the morning while my seven week old is (laughs) up. So, (laughs) um, you know, so that, that's kind of the first thing. And then from that, you then see that in the marketplace that could be in the bookstore that could be in Walmart target. So it's my, my goal also to, to visit those stores and build relationships. And, um, you know, we do have ODU and a good amount of retail in this area. Um, and, but, it still, in my opinion, needs to grow. So it's, it's, it's working with those 
licensees of ours that also sell into those specific channels, right? So the Walgreens right up the road here, we didn't have any product in there. I talked to the store manager. He was like, absolutely, we would support it. So I knew, you know, who the licensee that works with Walgreens and now we're getting product in there. Um, is that going to be a huge royalty licensee? No, but it's the, our brand, right? It's, it's, it's now you can walk into Walgreens now and see ODU. Yeah. And so I think that's important. I've always said that, you know, collegiate merchandise, even if you wear it, you know, um, have it on your wall. I mean, it's a walking, you know, they're walking billboards or, you know, easy, it's easy advertising for the school. So if we're not in places out of sight, out of mind. Um, so I want to be in every retailer in this area. Um, so you've got kind of the approval of the products. You've got the increase of product into the stores. It's also, you know, another part of my day job is working with our licensees, um, communicating with them, letting them know, you know, what is new at ODU or what things they may not know that they could, you know, put on products or add products. Um, because they, they don't live and breathe ODU. They, they, they're licensed for several hundred universities. Um, and they're not going to be the ones to reach out. So we need to be the ones having those conversations, making sure that they're aware of, you know, our demographics, our, our students, our military connections, athletics, um, alumni numbers, because if, if they don't know that, then we really won't get any traction for our brand. So I'm communicating with our licensees a lot almost on a daily basis. And then I'm, I'm working on, you know, what's the next product, right? You know, are there, are there certain products that we don't have that would make sense for our brand? Um, and that's kind of the fun part, right? The protection part is, I always say it's, you, it's the backbone of licensing, but the promotion part of it is the sexy part of licensing, which I like to do. But you got to go back to kind of the, the blocking and tackling, which is making sure that your brand's protected. So that that is the really the, the first thing that I focus on. Speaking of new products, we recently rolled out a new um potentially controversial, but it didn't end up being controversial. We rolled out a beer. We did. A, a licensed ODU beer. Um, and it was a huge success. Can you tell us a little bit about that project, how, how where we landed with, uh, in terms of royalties yeah. and how it, how it happened? Yeah, that, that's been just a, a really fun project. I think internally as a team, as well as externally with our, with our partner, new realm who who is the brewery you know the rfp was awarded when i got here but it would kind of was just at the infancy stages which is great timing because literally before i joined at odu i was about to launch a beer with the unc wilmington so i <laughs> uh, went from one beer project to the to the next and you know 
I think the the major su- success of it was building that relationships, you know, with not only New Realm, but also with a distributor, because ultimately we needed them to be on board too, to get us out and about. And, you know, internally, I think our team did a great job with designing the label and or helping design the label. So when you go into a grocery store, a bar, like it screams ODU. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it is, it screams our brand and, um, and it's a good beer. I was, the, that was the, really the one thing I was worried about if people <laughs> were going to like it or not, because there was only about two people who tried it before it actually went in production, me and, and another gentleman. So it was like, man, I hope, I hope <laughs> people like it because, which I think it has gotten a really good, you know, backing. I think a lot of people were calling for hoping for this years ago. And so, we launched in about early to mid August. So right before, you know, football season and in eight weeks, we sold 2,500 cases of, of ODU golden ale, um, which we make $2 per case. So that we made $5,000 in royalties in, in eight weeks And new realm has told me that, you know, and they've been around for, for a good amount have launched a lot of beer, what they're they're they've got beers with Georgia Tech, but they said the ODU Golden Ale launch was their most successful launch in their history of any beer launches. And I think wow, it's because Hoffman Distributor, our distributor, got on board and was and now has it in over a hundred grocery stores, convenience stores, Total Wine. It's in over eighty bars, restaurants. It's sold at our football games, basketball games, soccer, baseball. Hoffman really was pushing New Realm to create this 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 box design where when you stack the, the boxes, it actually creates the logo. And they've never had that before. And other big breweries were doing it. New New Belgium was doing it with Voodoo Ranger and whatnot. And we were the first one to have this design concept. So when you stack the ODU Golden Ale on top of each other, it actually makes up our lion shield. It looks awesome on a shelf. So once again, from a branding perspective, you know, it just enhances our brand even more. When you walk into a grocery store, not expecting, and you go into the beer cooler and you're like, wow, I didn't even know ODU even had a beer. And it's, you know, it's four and a half percent. So it's not like it's super hoppy where you can't drink just about one or two. We wanted to make it, you know, an easy drinking beer and to the point now where, you know, New Realm wants to do a second beer potentially coming up. So, but they have, they've been great as a as a partner. They hosted the Virginia Tech Watch football party. They've hosted some other events with alumni. They're, they've got a brewery based in Atlanta. So we're actually going to have an event down there and they're going to send ODU Golden Ale to that brewery so that our Atlanta chapter can enjoy it. So that, that's pretty cool too. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency with an idea 
Tony's a good friend of mine. And so I said, dude, let's build a next generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry. And we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbles, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists Mallory and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They've invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, But if you've found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. That's awesome. And it, our alumni were so jazzed about it. Yes. Like they, they were so excited about it. And I think it feels like um, we're playing with the big dogs in a way. Like, you know, the big schools are the ones that have yep. beers. And we're a large school, yeah. but we haven't always been. That's a more recent development. Right. And I think it creates a sense of like, yeah, we're a big player now yeah. among our alumni. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing that – and I. I may be skipping ahead, but you know, one thing that I think folks need to know is that, and this doesn't happen at every university, it's very different, but you know, all of our, our royalties from sales of licensed merchandise. So t-shirts and mugs and the beer and, you know, goes to a general scholarship fund. So we're supporting our future monarchs our future students where other schools, you know, a hundred percent of their licensing revenue might support athletic facilities or, Mm. you know, it might be a 50, 50 split, right. Where, you know, 50% goes to athletics, 50% might go into a, you know, a university marketing fund. Um, But there's some schools like us where, you know, we go, you know what, we want to support our future students. And so therefore, you know, the royalties from, 
you know, licensed merchandise, ODU licensed merchandise goes to, goes to that fund. So, and I did not know that when I was a student, but I think once you learn that and in, in, in alumni and, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of workshopping a, a name or a program to communicate that to folks. Because once you kind of learn of like, oh man, I did not know what I was buying for ODU, went back to the university. Like, absolutely. Why wouldn't I support this? I think is an important message for, for folks to know at any university. Like you push that message. I mean, it's kind of that cause and effect kind of message of like, hey, if you support, supporting us, you're doing this. Um, and that's a message that I think is key for, for any licensing program. For sure. I mean, it's kind of like when you give to NPR and you get a bag or whatever. It's yes. like It's kind of like you're giving and getting. Yep. Um, and this time of year has to be a big time for licensing. Are there cycles throughout the year where sales are higher? Yeah, there is, you know, typically um, the back to school time frame that, you know, if you have football, the, the kickoff or football season, you know, we're now getting into the phase where basketball is about to start holidays. I would say from July 1st, really through, you know, the, the, the end of the year, typically I would say 60 to 70% of royalties will be generated during that time frame. Retailers are stocking up for back to school. They know parents are coming in town, you know, for move in, for family weekend, you know, wallets are going to be out because you want to buy your kids. They want to support. So that's a big time frame. You know, early 2024 is when retailers will actually start buying for the fall. Mm. Um, So your bookstores, your, your Walmart's targets, end of January, early February, they're, they're buying and some, and actually some probably have already started buying for the, for next year. Wow. You know, COVID really pushed that along due to, you know, delays in, in shipping and production and labor shortages. I mean, it's so you really, I mean, that, that time frame. if you weren't buying, then you missed, you mean you literally missed the boat. And right now, where we're seeing, unfortunately, and it's nothing, I mean, you read the news about retail is retailers are still sitting on a ton of inventory. Yeah. Um, which is not good from a licensing perspective because you want that stuff to, to sell through so they can order more. Right. But if they're sitting on inventory, they're, you know, they're not going to order more product until it's gone. Um, so, you know... I would say, and then obviously if you make a run in the NCAA basketball tournament, you know, (laughs) graduation is, you know, that will increase your royalties in the springtime. But really this stretch that we're in right now is, is critical. Uh, And I'll, and I'll really start, you know, end of January, February, really start connecting with new licensees to, you know, add them to our program and I'll have be having conversations with licensees and retailers about at, you know, bringing ODU in for the fall. So, um, but yeah, that, that's at a very important time. 
um, of kind of the licensing cycle. All of the expertise that you've built over the last, you know, 13, 14 years working in licensing, um, it's just like so valuable. What advice would you give to somebody like me if licensing previously reported to athletics, you didn't need to care about it necessarily, and then maybe your president wants to make a change and move licensing to your shop or whatever. What advice would you give to a a chief marketing officer that's suddenly kind of thrust into managing uh, a licensing director? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the biggest thing is, there's a couple of things. You know, networking is, I've always found you know, when I, when I was on the agency side, even if licensing fell under athletics or maybe it fell under marketing, I was still having conversations with both sides because it is very important. Athletics drives licensing as much as the university side drives licensing. Um, so, you know, if I'm coming in, you know, I would network with those folks that would have some type of, you know, touch on the brand, right? So from an athletic standpoint, it's usually the, you know, director of external relations or senior AD of external relations. More than likely, they're they're touching the brand from an athletic standpoint. Um, I would touch base with your general counsel, right? Mm-hmm. So from a protection standpoint, they're going to know when your potential trademarks are coming up for renewal, what trademarks are federally registered, state registered. Are there marks that we, you as a university may need to get, get registered that you don't want folks to infringe on? I would say another point is the bookstore, right? I mean, that's your, that is mainly the number one place for any university where royalties are generated is the bookstore. Um, Getting to know the bookstore manager, getting to know the director of auxiliary services is another person because the bookstore ultimately falls under that position. Alumni, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to connect with alumni um, due to the fact that they're buying, um, you know, product as well. Usually it's higher end. So, Due to that, it's a higher royalty. So you want to make sure you have product that they want. Admissions is another one. So where are students coming from? Are there certain products or, or regions in the state that potentially we could go after knowing that a good portion of incoming students are coming from that area? Um, so, I mean, networking is, is crucial because it all kind of – fits the puzzle, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to that where you're connecting all of those together, getting to, which then ultimately will give you a vision of, okay, this is what I, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do with athletics. This is what we should do with the bookstore. This is what, but you can tie the bookstore and athletics together, right? You can tie mm-hmm. the bookstore and alumni together. Admissions, you know, it's all kind of, you're connecting the dots, but you are, you're getting the information that you need from all of those outlets. So I would say that was the biggest thing that I did as on the agency side was I knew when I got on campus, I had my direct contact, but I said, okay, I need to meet 
alumni. I need to need, I need to meet athletics, bookstore, general, like all those folks. Um, so I would say, you know, coming into a role like yours where maybe now licensing falls under, th- that would be my key of advice is just network on campus. And then eventually, right, you want to network outside of campus, you know, meet with local licensees, local retailers. But before you do that, you got to you got to build internally first. That makes total sense. And I think um, if anybody has been to a restaurant in Norfolk with BT, uh, they're going to see BT networking <laughs> Yes, he, he tries to create opportunities, and, which kind of makes me want to ask the question. This piggybacks on um, what we were talking about with the beer, but, you know, we're looking at some other consumables and consumables by consumables. I mean, basically food, yep. food and beverage. Yep. Um, why is this an important category? You know, I got to, I got to give, uh, one university, some dibs. So New Mexico State University of all places is the king of this. I mean, mm. they have they started really the trend of consumables probably five, six years ago. I really? Mean, they, they have a beer, a tequila, a wine, uh, a salsa. I mean, you they've got all co- coffee. I mean, and, and so... I would say the consumable market, yeah, really took place probably five, six years ago, really started taking off. And I think the one thing that it also did is it brought that local tie to the community. I mean, I really do think it's a community driven thing. So, you know, I launched several coffees with schools over the past two or three years. All of them were local. People loved them. They knew them. You know, we did a, a, a we've, we've done bourbon working with a local distillery and it just, I don't know, folks just, you know, once again, goes back to that local support. Um, so we, ODU, we're looking at launching, you know, we launched the beer we launched, we're, we're soon going to launch a barbecue sauce with, you know, a local uh, restaurant here that makes barbecue sauce. It's called the Dirty Buffalo, um, who one of the owners is an alum. So I think that's another key thing, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of universities, when they're looking at the consumables, are there alum in the area, right, that we can build a PR story around, but also a great product that our local alum, fan students will enjoy. And so just happens that he makes great, great barbecue sauce. And so it just kind of made sense to have a conversation with him, kind of lay out the expectations of, you know, how to become licensed. This is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to pay a royalty. But big picture, I think it's just a win-win for both. You know, it gets his brand, which he's trying to build out there and it builds our brand as well. Um, so, you know, we, we, we're going to launch more with them. Um, so I don't think, you know, I think a lot of schools actually just launch one and they, they kind of stop. That was kind of with the beer thing. A lot of universities work with a brewery and they just launch one beer and that's it. And it's like, okay, let's, let's continue to build out a, a collection, if you will. 
because what you like may be different from what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so let the consumer dictate of what they, what they want and what they like. So we're looking at that. Um, you know, we, we've done on the agency side, we've done ice cream in the past, learning our tradition here very quickly of ice cream and cake. I think it makes sense to work with a local ice cream parlor. Um, it's taken a little bit longer than I hoped, but it's, it's those conversations are, are still happening. Coffee is another big one that I'm would love to do that we're having conversations with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if it makes sense, you know, one time, one of the biggest consumable products in the state of Virginia was peanuts. Oh yeah. And there was a company, I know, I know they're still around. I don't know if they are still doing collegiate peanuts, but it was called Virginia, Virginia diner. And you could go into any, you know, Hallmark store or wherever, you know, local specialty stores and you would see Virginia Diner peanuts wrapped in, you know, ODU, JMU, Longwood. They had every school in the state or, um, and it did very, very well. Um, so, I mean, that could be, you know, another thing that I've, you know, we are known as a peanut state. So it'd be kind of cool to do that again. Um, we've had a hot sauce. Yep. We did a hot sauce for the 73rd oyster bowl. Um, so that was last weekend. Um, there's a big oyster roast tailgate that, um, the Shriners here locally put on. So we designed a special hot sauce for, for them, for that event. Um, and that will, that will continue to happen that we've got our donor relations. So once again, why do these products? I had a conversation later this morning with our director of donor relations who said, I'm on a hundred bottles of this hot sauce, this, because next Friday, they're hosting an event with all of their high end, you know, donors along with the president's going to be there. And she mentioned, she said, you know, these donors don't need anything. They got all the money in the world, but just this little bottle is different than just giving them, you know, another, mug. yeah, another mug another or whatever. like, this is yeah. cool that they can. So we'll continue to do that. Um, we're going to be launching, you know, big blue Q, which is our barbecue sauce. Um, I think next week uh, we met this morning, we're going to do that. Uh, we're actually going to have it, have the football coach live on his coach's show. Try it. Oh, nice. And he's going to really good. It is, it is tasty. So we, we did the whole taste testing and, um, you helped kind of get the president's cabinet involved. So, you know, just it's just fun to like get everyone involved with it. Cause I think that builds us, you know, some excitement, same thing with the beer. It was kind of, everyone had a kind of a hand into it. It just wasn't, you know, BTU bank by himself working alone. There, I mean, there was a lot of people, you know, that, that helped along with a lot of these, these projects. And so, and that will continue because, um, it only just enhances our brand and just makes for something that's cool. That's just not a t-shirt or a hat or, you know, cause we're going to sell those people are going to buy those, but what is these other kind of items that 
are that are local to our community um, that you know our fans, our alum, our students go to and support, and all of a sudden they they can go in and buy an ODU product on top of it. Just it just makes sense. I think there's just so much with consumables that I think is a, are attractive, and it's something also that people go through and then need to buy again. Yes. I mean, I hate to sound that <laughs> crass, but you know, you buy a T-shirt, we get a royalty once. You buy a barbecue sauce and you love it. You keep buying the barbecue yep. sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to come out on the apparel side. You really got to. I mean, you got to come out with like special collections to keep it fresh. Because if you don't, to your point, I mean, if you got a T-shirt or a sweatshirt that you love, you're gonna just gonna wear that and wear that and wear that. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a sweatshirt. Honestly, I have my a sweatshirt that was the first thing I ever got that was licensed that I can recall. I was a high school senior. I went to the University of Minnesota to, for some reason, I was going to go there in the fall and I bought a sweatshirt and I still have that sweatshirt. I still wear that sweatshirt. It is like, it is well loved. I think there's probably holes in it, paint on it, but I will cherish that sweatshirt forever. And the most expensive piece of clothing that I owned until like kind of recently when I went a little crazy on Rent the One Way, sorry, <laughs> um, pocketbook, but was a, a sweatshirt from the University of Minnesota that I got that had like a throwback logo yep. on it. And that will be a cherished sweatshirt forever too. Um, one of the, one design that will never, ever go away that is the most collegiate looking is that arched design on a, on a sweatshirt or a t-shirt. So just the arched Old Dominion, the arched, you know, University of Minnesota, what James Matt like just that arch, just it's the most collegiate looking design. It will never go away. And if you know, just, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. The one that I have is the, it's just the arch yeah. university of yep. Minnesota gray champion sweatshirt yep. with university of Minnesota on it. Um, fit me perfect. I got it oversized so I can hopefully wear it for the rest yeah. of my life. And then the other one had a throwback logo on it, which I know we've had a lot of success with yes. our throwback logos. So vintage has talking about trends. They've, they've come and gone, they come and gone, but typically they are very popular. Um, they also have a higher royalty rate versus, mm -hmm. you know, your, your current, like our current marks. Um, and typically the industry industry standard right now in the collegiate licensing industry is 12% royalty, which ODU is 12%. Most of your power five schools, your big schools are 15, 16, some of them are 18. Um, and typically vintage rates, uh, your vintage logos typically are three to four points higher than your current, you know, royalty, if you will. Um, so yeah, with us, you know, the, the football team, um, during homecoming weekend came out for the first time wearing our ODU racetrack logo on the side of the helmet, kind of an eighties looking logo that is very popular. Um, it was actually designed by an ODU, um, professor or art director, I believe here. So once again, it ties back into that story. We, the bookstore brought in, you know, once again, just a basic champion t-shirt 
um, a Hudson Blue with an ODU, that racetrack logo on it. They've sold close to 700 of those T-shirts. Um, they brought in well over 300, 300 replica football helmets, the mini helmets, and sold almost all of those. Wow. Um, See so the vintage collection. I mean, we, we've got some other logos that are popular as well. Um, the line hitting the baseball is, 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 is a good one. The food lion logo. I, I keep hearing folks really <laughs> like that mark. Um, but the one thing that I will, I will say is if you don't, and I've done this at other universities, helping them out, if you don't build an identity around your vintage, then it's just kind of, you know, it, it's just kind of washes in with the other marks. So I feel like if you build an identity around your vintage program, then it's got its own place to sit. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to work with our bookstore to actually build a vintage collection in the store. So when you walk in, you will see, oh, there's our vintage line. And that entire section will house, you know, apparel and non-apparel items with our vintage marks. Um, and we're going to go with Old Dominion Legacy is going to be the name of that collection. We we have a logo for that that will be you know, used either in, you know, inside tags or on the product itself or on hang tags, just makes it identifiable to the consumer of what they're buying is truly, oh, this is part of the ODU or excuse me, the old dominion legacy collection. Like this is the vintage. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could definitely be a, a great addition to your current marks, um, due to the fact that it is different. Um, you can limit it. You can limit the marks to a certain number of licensees. So you don't have to open it to the entire, um, collection of folks, you can keep it, you know, limited to about, you know, 10 to 15 licensees. I think we have 16. Um, and you get a higher royalty rate, um, as well. So definitely a, a program that if a university does not have, they definitely should look into that. And I actually confirmed yesterday that probably the, the, the hottest, vintage licensee over the past two or three years called home field apparel. They're going to launch ODU next September during the football season. That's awesome. So we'll have some really cool vintage line with, with them that I think folks will, will really like. I got this golden gophers um, sweatshirt that had the, Golden, uh, the Goldie the Gopher from I think it was like the 1947 Gopher. It's not the nostalgia because that Gopher was gone by the time right. I was there. There's, but there still is this like um, thread. It, you can trace yourself back to yep. the history of the institution that you're part of a thread that has been in place for however yes. many years that your institution is there. Yes, it, it really hits. I mean, the alumni, right? target market. That's the target market for any vintage. I mean, they, they want to buy the logos that were happening or, or was there when they were there. Um, so we're actually talking the the popularity of that ODU racetrack logo. I mean, it took off when athletics announced it. I mean, just nationally just went viral. 
So, you know, one thing we've talked about is using that potentially, you know, with an, with another either consumable, you know, have it on the label, you know, have it on the packaging, whatever. But, you know, the one thing that we had that when, when I was working with Virginia Tech in the years past, when we launched their vintage collection and brought the, I call it the TV mark, but it's the, the T sitting kind of in the V. We brought the old fighting mm-hmm. gobbler out. It went crazy. And Virginia Tech was like, I don't want it to wash out our current VT mark. So they only wanted to, they were only going to allow it to be sold for one year. Mm. And it went crazy. I mean, it, people couldn't, retailers couldn't keep it on the shelf. Wow. And so once again, you know, the third P, the profit side, you see starting, you start seeing the royalties come in from that. And you're like, okay, we need to keep this around for a couple. So they actually kept it around for several more years. The football team ended up wearing it. Basketball. I mean, all the sports teams start having a, a Jersey with the, with a vintage logo on it. So um, yeah, vintage is, I would say just as popular as the consumable market. (laughs) I, I believe it. I mean, when I went to the University of Minnesota bookstore, which it's funny, we call them bookstores when they're like 90% t-shirts. Yes. But um, when I went to the bookstore, my dad was in the University of Minnesota hospital when he was um, uh, passing away. But I went to the bookstore and I didn't even look at the current stuff. I was beeline straight for that vintage yeah. stuff. And sometimes I think to your point about you know, keeping the licensees limited, I thought that the product in the vintage se- section was a little bit higher end yes, as well. Yes, yes, and that's usually how you want you want it to be. Um, you want some of those better, best licensees of yours to have those rights to your vintage marks because you want the product to just be higher quality because more than likely your alumni are the ones, you know, buying that product. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you have, and I have talked about, you need like the low price point for the student who's, you know, maybe eating Taco Bell because that's (laughs) what they can afford or Burger King. And then you need something kind of mid range for the employees. And then you need something higher end for the alumni. So typically, you know, from a book, really from any kind of retailer perspective, but really for a bookstore, you know, they will carve out their square footage into good, better, best categories and licensees fall under that category. Right. So, you know, everyone's been in a bookstore and see kind of the roll t-shirt, right. A roll, you know, they're 15, 20 bucks. If that, I mean, that's in your good category. They're, they're, you know, not the greatest quality of t-shirt, not the worst, but you know, they're cheap. And once again, they're probably going to have just have that arched or straight old dominion on it uh, mm-hmm. or whatever university name. Um, sometimes they're rolled in with a hat, right? So, but they fall under that good. So you want that good category to be where mainly your students or your, your price conscious consumer has the ability to buy something that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've kind of got that, that better category where 
your champions, your, you know, um, potentially maybe your sideline provider um, falls under that category, but it's that higher, that, that mid-level price point that is better than that $15 rolled up t-shirt, but is not as good as that, you know, Johnny O polo, Peter Millar polo. Um, and that's, that's an, to me, that's a very important category because you have a lot of folks that may not want to spend all that money, but do want to spend, you know, a little bit higher quality of a t-shirt or product. And then you got your, your best category. And that is your, you know, 80, $85, $90 polos, you know, and above. Um, and you need that too, because you, you do have folks, alumni that, that want that nicer product to wear. And so typically bookstores will have a, a certain percentage of, of all three categories in their store, mainly, you know, that, that, that good and better two categories will, will have the majority of the floor over the best, but depending on where you go, I mean, you've been to private schools where <laughs> you don't find yeah. good. It's, it's, it's better best. <laughs> so well, it really, that's what, again, that was the cool thing of being on the agency side is every school was different. Private schools, you know, versus, you know, some state schools, they, the, the mix of product in the store was totally different. So you just cater to really your, your, your consumer target market. Yeah. Well, I, I've been on um, some very elite campuses. And yeah, to your point, they've had maybe one little table with those rolled up t-shirts yep. that are 20 bucks. And then the whole rest of the store was just, uh, in a lot of cases, it seemed like best. Like those are the schools where you have like the parked in the student parking lot are your Teslas and yep. your Rolls Royces and your Porsches and that kind of thing. I worked with one private university who told me when I, when I was, and I was just doing my job, I was going to, to a local Walmart to see if they could add this specific school into their, into their, um, selection. And they were, they were on board. And when I got to the school for my meeting, I'm like, yeah, I just met with Walmart and they're, they're like, we don't want to be in the Walmart. Wow. We, we think I'm, I'm, we're flattered that they want us, but we, we're not, we don't want to be in there where I've had, where I have other schools, like we want to be in every single Walmart. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it just varies. I mean, it's very interesting. Once again, it goes back to the brand. Like what, how do schools look at their brand? Do they look at it more of, you know, we don't want our brand out there. We will only want it at our bookstore or on campus for folks to come to, or we want it in every dollar general, every, Walgreens, we want our brand out there as much as possible. I mean, it yeah. just really, really varies. Well, and it, and it varies, I think, from just in my experience. So the times that licensing has reported to me are here at ODU, which is an R, large R1 public, but not the flagship. Um, I've been at a, another large public that was also not the flagship that was a little bit more, um, I think, uh, affluent students went there, affluent alumni, and then um, a much smaller HBCU where the alumni would probably wear their 
college gear every single day yeah. of the week yeah. for the rest of their lives and be buried in it. Yeah. And so it's really depend. You have to understand the character of your campus, I think. Yes. And what the what drives people, what drives the students, what drives the alumni, yep. um, employees. I mean. And I would I would encourage. You know, we're going to do this here in a couple of weeks. We're going to, I would encourage folks to do focus groups. So we're going to do a focus group on November 16th with the senior marketing class within our business school. And I've got, you know, I met with a professor yesterday and actually, you know, we divided categories of, of what I'm interested in learning. You know, what logos do students like? What colors do students like from apparel perspective? What trends do they like you know right now i'm yeah. seeing a trend of logos splattered everywhere on a garment like that doesn't fit my style but is that the trend right mm -hmm. now that students like if so like i need to know that because one thing from a from a licensing director seat which i also coming from the agency side used to tell my clients is that if something comes through that you're like, I would never wear that. Like you can't disapprove with your heart or based on like, <laughs> right. you got to like, are they using our logos correctly? Yes. Yeah. Is this aligned with our, you know, with our brand? Yes. Okay. Well then I have, let's approve this. Yeah. What I might not like, you know, could be totally different from a 18 year old. Um, so I think, by doing this, I'll get a little better understanding kind of what they're looking for. Um, yeah. But I also want to do this with our faculty. I don't know if it's focus groups or maybe more of a survey. Same thing with alumni. Like the more that I get to know what folks want, the more I can help our retailers bring the product in. Yeah. Um, because if I don't know, then, you know, it's one thing of getting the product in, but if it just sits there, like that is, that is no, nobody doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good because the royalties are already paid on that shipment. Um, royalties aren't paid on sales. They're based on when the product is shipped. So the faster I get that product out when it ships, the more royalties are getting generated. So yeah if we don't have the right product mix and it just sits, it's doesn't help us out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, BT, I could talk about licensing all day, but we've already talked an hour. <laughs> um, if people are interested in talking to you a little bit more about licensing, where can they find you? Yeah. So I think I'm not the big social media. I don't have that. I would say email me. <laughs> uh, is is one way uh, b u bank e u b a n k at odu dot edu um, my office number seven five seven six eight three thirty five eighty is another great way um, I will respond somehow either way to those um, but yeah I need one thing that I am also working on is I need. I, I want to build a um, a social media following for licensing. Yeah. Um, and a couple of schools have a very easy, I mean, literally just where 
blank. So like where ODU, very simple. Um, but that's in the works. Um, it's one thing that I want to achieve and if definitely will help get the word out when I'm out and about and take pictures of where we have product of going, Hey, come here. We got, you know, ODU product here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say just by email or phone is right now the best way to, to contact me. If anyone has questions or just want to talk shop about licensing, I could go for another hour. you could trust me um well listeners as always you can find me on linkedin at jamie hunt j-a-i-m-e hunt you can also find me still but very limitedly on the platform formerly known as twitter where i can be found at jamie hunt imc j-a-i-m-e-h-u-n-t imc I'm also playing a little bit with TikTok. So I'm the higher ed CMO over there, the higher ed CMO. So um, track me down there. I'm happy to uh, connect with, with listeners and answer any questions you might have of me. And with that said, thank you so much for coming on the show, BT. It's been a great conversation. And let's go bust some silos. That's right. Hey, y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.